invite you to take your Bibles and turn back to 1 John, the scripture we read a little earlier this morning. As we begin this series called Life Assurance, we saw last week that John starts out this letter by talking about beginnings. In fact, he talks that, uses that phrase eight times in this epistle. It's really an echo of Genesis 1.1. He also starts out his gospel that way in John 1.1 and, of course, our text in 1 John 1.1. What John is going to do this morning in the passage we're going to look at is he is connecting his opening paragraph, the first four verses we saw last week, with this paragraph. And he does it by repeating a number of words. Look at your Bible. It says, he says in verses 5 and 6 and throughout, he says like he did in 1 through 4, we've heard this message, we declare it to you. And then like he did in verses 1 through 4, twice in our passage, he talks about having fellowship, having fellowship first with God and with each other. And so he wants us to know by the repetition of these words that he is not really done talking about beginnings, about the creation theme. And what he wants us to see is that he's not, retelling, he's not just saying the Genesis story over again. He's retelling it not through the life of the first Adam, but through the second Adam. And what does it mean for us to have a beginning through Jesus Christ? And so really, truthfully, now that John has laid the groundwork about not just creation, but more importantly, new creation, he's going to give us some beginning basics. Some beginning basic lessons that we learn from creation and new creation that we as believers should be very, very familiar with. In fact, he goes back in verse 5 and says, this is the message that we've heard from him and proclaimed to you. Here it is, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If you go back to creation after Genesis 1-1, the very first thing that God does on the very first day is create light. And so John says the beginning of God's creation is all about light and darkness. Genesis 1-2 says, And darkness was over the face of the deep. Genesis 1-3. And God said, Let there be light, and there was light. Verse 4. Listen to this. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. See, here is John's first beginning basic lesson. Ready? Light and darkness do not go together. They are completely antithetical. They are polar opposites. And light is, from the very beginning in creation, divided from darkness. And this is not, hear me, this is not just a creation principle about the first day. No, God goes on to use this truth of light being separated from darkness as a community principle. It's what not only divides the light from darkness materially, but also in humanity. He's going to tell us that there are really just two types of people. People who are in the light and people in the darkness. If you are at all familiar with the exodus from Egypt... I won't ask you to, in order, give all the ten plagues, but I can tell you this. The ninth plague, if you have a Bible in Exodus 10, it usually has a little heading on it. It says, the plague of darkness. And God uses this scripture, or this, I should say, this beginning basic 
in the story of the Exodus because here's what happens. The darkness of the plague comes and it covers all of the entire country of Egypt, all of the Egyptian homes. In fact, the darkness is so great, the Bible says that you could almost feel it. I don't know if you've ever been in a cavern or in a place where you said that you couldn't. I I was in a cavern one time and I went like this. I could not see my hand in front of my face. In Egypt for three days, there was darkness. But it says in Exodus 10, 21 through 23, that there was darkness over all of Egypt, but in all the houses of the children of Israel, there was light. Why? Because here's the principle. Light and darkness don't go together. Israel, not much later than this text in Exodus 10, would be standing in front of the Red Sea. No way to leave. No way to get out of danger. Pharaoh had come from Egypt and decided he wasn't going to let them go, so he's going to attack them. But God had a fiery pillar, a light, and it divided the Egyptians from the Israelites. And it says this, that all during the night, the Egyptians were in darkness And while they were in darkness, Israel, every one of them, passed through the Red Sea on dry ground as if it was light. Again, God is telling us, here's the principle from the beginning. Light and darkness do not go together. You know, it's not just in this life. It's in eternity. Have you ever read descriptions in the Bible of hell? There are lots of them. The fire that is unquenchable where the worm does not die. But one of the most common ones, in fact, the most common description out of the mouth of Jesus himself about hell is outer darkness. See, in all eternity, not just in life, but in death and in eternity, light and darkness will be separated from one another. In the new heavens and the new earth, one of the descriptions in Genesis, Revelation 21 and 22 is that they looked and saw the new Jerusalem and there is no night there. There is no darkness because God and the Lamb is its light. You see, for all eternity, this beginning basic truth is true. That God said that light and darkness should be separated. That means every single person in this room, beyond this room, and in the world You are in either one or two categories. You are either in the light or you are in the darkness. There are only two categories. There aren't any between. There aren't people who have some light. No, it's light or darkness. In fact, salvation itself is defined by those categories. Acts 26, 18 says that when you get saved, you turn from darkness to light. Salvation are people who were in darkness but are no longer there. They are in the light. Ephesians 5 says this, that you were once in darkness. But verse 8 says, but now you are light in the Lord. And it's true of every single person in this room. Light or darkness. To use some Star Wars terms, Jedi or Sith. Right? Like I was thinking this week, Pastor Walker, Lance Skywalker Darth Dave Crompton. Don't you think that works pretty good? Right? It's either one or the other. There is no middle ground. But see, if you have a beginning with God, you will live in light and not in darkness. It seems simple, doesn't it? But unfortunately for so many, it is not. They do not realize this beginning basics truth. 
that light and darkness do not coexist. So John sets out in verse 5 to establish the principle, and he says this, God is light, not that he has light, not that he gives light, he is light. You see, in that little phrase, let me get technical for a minute, there is no article, there is no the in there. And what that means is this is the nature of God, the very nature of his character. This is who God is. Now, John's going to make, and you're going to see it as we go through this whole series, he makes three different statements about the essence of God. This one, God is life. We saw that. God is light, and God is love. Those three are all throughout this epistle. And John says, let me give you a beginning basic. Well, let me tell you about who God is, because that's going to define who you are. And what you got to know at the beginning is God is light. In fact, the Bible literally says this in that verse. God is light and darkness in him not is, and then a word at the end, none. He uses a double negative emphatically. He says, hey, God has no darkness, not at all. And then he has to tag another word on the end, none. God doesn't have any blemish. He doesn't have any stain. He doesn't have any mark of sin because in him there is none of it. No fault, no falsehood, no failure, no deceit, no deviation, no dishonesty. God has absolutely none of it. Why? Because darkness in the Bible is a metaphor for sin, which is a huge theme all throughout this epistle. 27 times sin is mentioned because here's what John wants you to know. You can't have darkness and light at the same time. The darkness and the light are not compatible, and here's why. Because one is contrary to who God is. If God is light, there cannot be any darkness. Now, hear me. That's important in John's day. And I'm going to show you in a minute how it is in ours. Because in John's day, they had gods in the Roman pantheon, but their gods, they weren't without sin. In fact, their gods bragged about being just as immoral as the people were. The only difference between the people and the gods in the Roman pantheon was that the gods had more power. And the people wanted to have a God like that because they wanted the God to have that power used to help them get whatever they wanted in life, you see. Our world, all these centuries later, isn't really any different. If our world, even if it wanted a God or thought about having one, it would be one that was compatible with their darkness. A God that has no moral standards, a God who has no holiness, no judgment, no upholding right from wrong. In 1973, at that point, the world-renowned psychiatrist Carl Menninger, he wrote a book, which I have on my shelf, and the title is, Whatever Became of Sin? And in his book, he projected that the day would come, listen, 1973, when sin would no longer be an element of human vernacular. In other words, no one would really reference right and wrong based with that term any longer. But he speculated that the explanation of sin and wrongdoing would be replaced, and I quote, by rationalizations of excusing individual accountability. Minninger predicted that the term sin, ready, would be replaced by illness, disorder, dysfunction, syndrome, etc. He said the human condition would be excused 
by the product of biochemistry, environment, experience, and trauma. He projected that even crimes would start to go without being punished, and people would be let go, and the justification of it would be is that they had a medical abnormality that would not any longer hold them responsible. According to Menninger's prognostication, it says, the day was approaching when practically everyone would be considered sick and their conduct pardonable. No longer would there be any liability of human error, choice, or willful conduct. He said everyone would be innocent because of their biology, psychiatry, or human reasoning. Wow. 40 years ago, and he was exactly right. Our world has forgotten this truth, that God is light, and in him is no darkness, none, none of it. What does that mean for us? Listen to what else John says in his gospel, out of the lips of Jesus, of course. John 3.19 says this, The light has come into the world, meaning himself, and people loved the darkness rather than the light. Apart from Christ, here's what you and I do. We choose darkness. We want it. We desire it more than light. In other words, we are darkness lovers, not light lovers. And we do not, as a result, take sin seriously. Our view of sin, like Minager said, has been cultly turned upside down. And you would say, Pastor Walker, well, of course, people who don't have the light, they're not going to take sin seriously. But did you notice 1 John is not written to unbelievers? 1 John is written to people who say, and we're going to see that word, say they are Christians. They're supposed to know that God is light. They're supposed to know that light and darkness can't coexist. But see, if we have a beginning with him, it won't be just something that we know or we believe. It'll be something that we live. And that's what the rest of the text is all about. Let me show you the structure, and then we're going to finish with it. Ready? Verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, every one of them, you have a pen, mark it. They all begin with the little phrase, if. If we say, if we confess. They're little sentences that talk about what some people might say about their darkness, about their sin. And here's how he does it. Five of them in a row, and they go like this in a pattern. Negative, positive, negative, positive, negative. They go back and forth because they want you to see, hey, this is what people say, but this is the truth. This is what people say, but this is really the truth. And so he says, let me start with this. Light and darkness don't go together. Beginning basic lesson number one. Let me show you beginning basic lesson number two. And that is this. Talk and walk do go together. Look at verse 6. If we say we have fellowship, there's the first one. If we say we have fellowship with him, what does that mean? Verses 1 through 4. If you say this morning, you come to church, I have a relationship, a personal, a saving relationship with God. That's what fellowship is, not coffee and donuts. A relationship. If you say that you have a relationship with him, now notice key word, while you walk in darkness... While, in other words, these things are happening simultaneously. And out of one side of my mouth, I say, yeah, I know God. I have a relationship with him. But my life says, no, I don't because I walk in darkness. Because remember the truth? Light and darkness can't go together. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, 
Ready? This is God's words. We lie. We lie and do not practice the truth. Because if you know God and have fellowship with him, and if you have fellowship with God, you'll have fellowship with others, and it will change your life. Let me tell you about eternal life, John says. Eternal life is not just getting you into heaven. It's getting heaven into you. See, eternal life, if you really have it, if the light of Jesus and the life of Jesus shines in you, see, it is not just a matter of words. It is not an intellectual belief about certain facts. Here's what he says, ready? If you walk in darkness, contrast verse 7, but if you walk in the light, see, here's what he says. Your talk and your walk must match. Your words and your walk have to be synced up. And John is trying to warn us, if there's a huge gap between what you say and what you do, it is a huge problem. As Christians, we believe in this. The eternal life starts now. Not just in the future, not when you die. Now. Therefore, we believe in this. We believe in life after death, but we also believe in life before death. In fact, we would say this. If you don't have life before death, you won't have life after death. Because here's what John says, they go together. Your walk demonstrates whether you are a tongue Christian or a true Christian. Whether your Christianity is something just out of your lips or is it really true of your life. So he uses over and over again in chapter 1 and 2 this term. If you walk a certain way, because there has to be a life change. And it's in the present tense. Walk means behavior, but not just one behavior in particular, a lifestyle, a practice. This is how you live. It's not because Christians don't sin or ever make mistakes, but what's true of Christians if they have the light is they have a lifestyle of dealing with the darkness the way that Jesus would have them to do it. So let me say it clearly. If you love light, you'll live light. It's that simple. If you love darkness, you will live darkness. And to fool yourself or say any other thing, here's the word that describes that, a lie. Lying to others, lying to yourself, and even, believe it or not, trying to lie to God. He calls it deception. He talks about deceiving yourself. He talks about lies. And we know John 8.44 says Satan is the king of it all. He is a liar from the beginning, Genesis story. He's going back and telling the Eve, Adam and Eve story right here. He goes, you know what? If you try to tell yourself a lie that you don't really have sin and you try to hide it, he says, you're just doing what, every, what Adam and Eve did from the very beginning. They didn't get the beginning basics. Because here's the third one. The beginning basic third one is this. Truth and lies don't go together. Are you living a lie? Are you living a lie? If you say, I have fellowship with God, but you live with your boyfriend or girlfriend, it's a lie. You're not practicing the truth. If you say, I have fellowship with God, and you practice pornography, it's a lie. If you say that you've been forgiven, but you cannot forgive others, 
It's a lie. If you say, I worship God only, but the reality is every day what you really worship is money and your life and priorities and calendar all indicate it. It's a lie. And John says, see, the first negative is, if you say this, but you do this, don't fool yourself. If that's what your lifestyle is, that's the habit that really, in the conduct that describes you, it's a lie. But, verse 7, contrast, but... If we walk in the light, as he is in the light. See, that's the way we're supposed to live. If you have light, you will be light reflectors. See, you are light in the Lord. Isn't that what Ephesians 5.8 said? So that you will reflect his character. That's why he made you. That's why he remade you. So that you could reflect your, his glory and his light to a world that knows nothing of it. Now, how is that important? Well, remember, the promise Satan gave Adam and Eve in the garden is, well, if you eat of the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, what did he say? Oh, you will be like God. What does the text say? If you walk in the light as he is in the light. See, Satan says, you can be like God. You can be as he is. If you eat from the tree of the knowledge of evil, you'll be independent from him. You can decide what is right and wrong on your own. See, that's how people in the world live who are filled with darkness. They are independent of God's authority of what is right and wrong. They decide it. If that's you, see, it's just like our world. They decide what marriage is. They decide what sexuality should be. They decide what they think gender is. See, this is the world in which we live. And where does it come from? It's darkness. It's a promise of Satan. You can decide independently of God. But God said, see, you can be like me too, as he is. But not because you do it apart from me but because you were created in my image. You can be like me if you live as he is. If you be like Jesus, if you live in the light. You see, darkness loves autonomy. No one telling me what to do. No one calling the shots. I'm in charge. But light loves authority. It loves this. I don't determine right and wrong for myself. God does. I don't say what's right and wrong. I don't determine who I'm going to marry. I listen to who and what God says because he's the authority. But see, when you're in darkness, you'll have none of it. You will not have anyone outside of yourself dictate to you what you will and won't do. Darkness demonstrates by its desire and deeds that it not only has no fellowship with God vertically, but it has no fellowship with anyone else horizontally because that's how they want to live. See, in the text it says this, if you have fellowship, if we walk in the light as he in light, we have fellowship, and I would have thought with God, that would have, that's how the phrase would go, but it doesn't. He says, if we, have, if we walk in the light, not only will it be effective vertically, but it will affect horizontally, you see. It'll affect your relationships with others. So look around at your marriage. Look around at you and your kids. Look around at you and your friends. Look around at how you are relating to other people. If we say, if we say we have fellowship with God and others, but we practice slander and gossip on Facebook and the internet, 
It's a lie. If you say that you have fellowship with God and others, but you hold grudges and you're bitter, and all you can think about is revenge, and that's what you practice, it's a lie. If you say you walk in the light as he is in the light, but truthfully, all that controls your relationships is darkness and how you can use people and how you can get this and how you want this, and you're always mad because you didn't get your way. He says, it's a lie. Imagine someone being in a health club, and the whole health club is about eating right. And they have meetings every week, and you're part of it. You're part of the group, and you, you meet every week, and you go to all the meetings. In fact, at one meeting recently, you stood up and said this, you know what I had for lunch today? I had three cranberries and half a pear. Yay! But the reality is, you had a Big Mac and supersized your fries. <laughs> you say, oh, that's terrible. What a hypocrite. Exactly. Oh, what if you came to a spiritual health club and attended all the meetings and you stand up and say, ha, oh, spiritual cranberries, pears, that's me. But your whole life is about Big Macs. You know what it is? It's a lie. It's a lie. Because here's what he says. Truth and lies, they don't go together. Walk and talk, they go together. And when he says that's true of your life, you see verse 7? When it's true of your life and you have fellowship with God and one another, here's what's true. He says, and the blood of Jesus, his son, literally keeps cleansing you from all sin. See, by the way that you live your life, you keep living in obedience and in fellowship. You keep doing the things that are in the light. When you do that, God's blood is keeping you safe. In other words, you demonstrate it. God is working in you, and he's working out of you. It's just evidence. It doesn't gain eternal life. It just proves and demonstrates that you have it. And his blood keeps cleansing you from sin. See, we are justified by God's grace and we are sanctified by God's grace. See, his blood cleanses us from all of our sin, not just when we first get saved, but every single day he keeps cleansing us. He keeps working us because here's what his sacrifice on the cross did. It didn't just justify you, it sanctifies you. It's not just over the, what, the penalty of sin that you have victory, it's over the power of sin. So he didn't just give you a little bit of light, he gave you light so that you could live in victory over your sin because light and darkness don't go together. So what do you do, even if you're a believer, what do you do if you have darkness sometimes? What do you do with the darkness that still remains in your life, even as a Christian? Well, you have two choices, the last verses tell us, like Adam and Eve had. You can either cover your sins, self-salvation, or you can confess your sins, verse 9. Again, negative, positive, negative. Verse 8, he says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. We can pretend. You can be here today, and you can, in your mind right now, thinking, well, it scares me a little bit. Maybe I haven't taken my sin as seriously as I should. And you begin to wonder, and you begin to be a little afraid. Maybe I have 
a difficulty with sin more than I thought. It says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. In the Lord of the Rings, there was a fellowship that was formed. Nine people were in it. It was led by Gandalf. Gandalf was the leader and example of everything that they stood for. The complete opposite of that was a creature named Gollum. See, they both were after the ring. The ring was the symbol of darkness and power of Sauron, which we would say symbolizes Satan. See, the one group wanted to get rid of it and throw it back in Mordor, the fires, to get rid of the evil of it. And Gollum, he wanted it. And the reason he wanted it, because if he had the ring, he would have power. So they formed a group of people, the Fellowship of the Ring, to get rid of it. Well, see, Gandalf knew he couldn't handle having it, so they had a ring bearer, and his name was Frodo. But you know what the truth is? A bunch of the other people in the Fellowship They made a mistake, and here's what it was. They deceived themselves about whether they could handle the ring or not. And everybody said, oh, no, Frodo, that's your job. You have it. But numerous times all throughout the story, people in the fellowship themselves tried to get the ring away from him. You know why? Because they had deceived themselves. They thought that they could handle the ring. They thought they could handle it better than Frodo. But the reality was they could not. See, they made a problem. They had a problem. You know what it was? They thought they were more like Gandalf when they were really more like Gollum. Do you do that? John's saying this. If you don't think you have sin, if you don't really think it's a problem, it's really non-existent in your life and it's not a big deal, you have not only lied about God, you have lied to yourself. It's not that way. You are more like Gollum than Gandalf. I would guess this morning, if we went around and talked to everyone in the family, everybody would have a stain story they could tell of their own. We have one at our house. When my children were little, uh, we had a couch. It was fairly new. And someone had spilt red punch on it. And they spilt it all over it, unbeknownst to us, and didn't want to let anybody know that they had stained the fairly new couch. And so they turned the cushion over. And they wanted to hide it. And they turned it over. And truthfully, for the longest time, nobody knew. I mean, how often do you turn your cushions over? But one day, years later, we needed something. Someone had dropped something in the couch, and we were trying to look under it and find it. And we turned that cushion over and like, What? The red stain was still there. But they had acted all this time as if it really didn't exist. So I asked my children, who did it? No one would answer. Not until this day. (laughs) The dark deed has still gone unpunished. I've, all, I've asked all my children, and I expect them to come forward at the invitation today. <laughs> but see, they covered it. They tried to minimize it and act as if it didn't really matter, that it really wasn't there. Let's just turn the cushion over. Do you do that? Ah, let's just turn the cushion over on that. It'll go away. That really doesn't exist. 
See, we can do that or, as verse 9 says, if we confess our see the if, if we confess our sins, oh, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, cover it or confess it. That's our choice. Proverbs 28, 13. He who covers his sin shall not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes it shall have mercy. See, the word confess is a Greek word that means this, literally, to say the same thing. You know what God wants you to do this morning? He wants you to look at your sin and say the same thing about it that he does. Stop minimalizing it. Stop victimizing it. Stop casualizing it. Say what he says. God, you're light. This is darkness. And they can't go together. Tell him that. Say it to him. Because if you view your sin, verse 10, like Satan does, and you minimalize it and say it's not a big deal, and you cover it instead of confessing it, here's what you do, verse 10. You make God a liar, and he isn't. He never is. So confess it, because that's what light lovers do. See, we get saved by confessing, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We confess, that's how we get saved. But by the way, do you know what? You keep being saved and you sanctify, you're getting sanctified by the same thing, confession. It's not a one-time deal, it's a lifestyle. But he says, if we confess our mm, sins, plural, he moves from singular to plural. You know why? Because when you confess, he wants you to say it about all the specifics. God. See, in my life sexually, it's wrong. I'm sexually in darkness. And let me tell you about it. God, in my life, in my thought life, in the words that come out of my mouth, God, that's, that's a problem for me. It's darkness. And the way that I see money, my priorities, the place, God, that you have in my life or don't have in my life, God, help me to say it like you say it. It's sin. It's wrong. I need to confess it. And so grateful that when we do, he says in verse 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know what? I, for the longest time, I thought, why wasn't it faithful in mercy? He's faithful and merciful because he is, isn't he? But that's not what John says. John says, you know what the great thing about God is that even when we sin, if we confess it, he is faithful and just. Why just? It's the word for righteousness. Why? Because it means this, for him to forgive you and to be faithful to you even when you sin, even as a Christian, he had to have someone make you righteous so that you could be just in his eyes. If you look at chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. See what John says next verse? He is the propitiation for our sin. Here's why he's faithful and just, because Jesus is that someone. He took your place on the cross. He took your sin so that you could be forgiven. He assuaged the wrath of God that you deserve. Faithful and just to forgive you of your sins. See, that's what it means that God is in light. That's what it'll look like as a Christian if you have his light. You don't cover it. You confess it. 
because you know the cost of it, the sacrifice of his son Jesus. And it moves you. It breaks your heart. It continues to change you. Oh, beginning basics, not hard, but so true. And the question is today, are you in the light or in the darkness? Let's pray. With every head bowed and every eye closed and no one looking around, I'll see everyone, you're just in one of two categories. And if you don't see your sin, you won't see your need of a Savior. Have you grasped it this morning? Light and darkness don't go together. Walk and talk have to go together. Lies and truth, they can never be together. See, those are the beginning basics. Are they true in your life? Are you living a lie in darkness? Or you live the truth? I'll see if you're here this morning. You say, Pastor Walker, I want to say it like he says it. Says it. I want to see my sin like he sees it. And I haven't. I've been deceiving, fooling myself, trying to fool others into helping help, help them to see that I'm more than I think I really am. I'm really not that person. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would there be anyone who say, Pastor Walker, I need to give my life to Jesus. I recognize he paid. He's the propitiation. He's the sacrifice. He paid for my sin when he died and rose again. He's my only hope of heaven. I don't want to just get to heaven. I want to get heaven in me. I want eternal life to start now. By his grace, for his glory. If that's, say, Pastor Walker, I don't have eternal life, but I want I need it desperately. Pray for me. Would you just slip your hand up all over the auditorium, wherever you are, just put it up and put it back down, and I'll pray for you as we close. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Pastor Walker, I don't know that I have eternal life, but I don't want to live in darkness anymore. I want to come to the light. I want to come to Jesus. Would you just raise your hand? I'll pray for you. Anyone else while we wait a moment? Anyone? Thank you for your hand. I see that hand as well. In the balcony, thank you as well. Thank you. Thank you. I see your hand, ma'am. Thank you. Anyone else join these ones? Perhaps with your heads bowed and eyes closed, maybe you're a Christian this morning and you are a child of God. You used to be in darkness, <clears throat> but now, oh, you're light in the Lord, but you'd have to say, as we all do, still fighting darkness. Pastor, I'll have to be honest with you. I'm not doing a very good job of it. There are things I know that the Bible directly and clearly says, and I live in opposition to them. I do. I know what it says, but I want what I want. See, you've, lis you've listened to the lie of Satan. You can be your God. You can decide. You can be independent of his authority. Can I tell you kindly, you cannot and suffer, and don't, and you're not, if you do, you're going to suffer the consequences, and can I warn you, it's never worth it to live in darkness, never. No matter what you have to give up, no matter what has to change, love the light. Say, Pastor, here's my hand this morning, pray for me as a Christian. I'm not, I'm making dark decisions, and I need to let the light 
shine in and through me far more than it is. Pray for me. Would you do that? Just slip your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you. Anyone else? Thank you in the balcony. Thank you. Anyone else? Anyone else? Ah, Father, shine your light and you have today and you've seen the hands of those who have been impacted by the light, the truth of your word. May your Holy Spirit use it now that you grant them humility and brokenness. That's who we are and we need your light. We need your light to come back to it. Oh, Father, for those who raise their hand for salvation or sanctification, either one, Father, may you move. May they let them, may they come forward that we may help them today to no longer live in darkness, but in the wonderful light of the Lord Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen.